Amen. We're honored that you are, are here. And uh, as we continue our, our Christmas series that we've been in, um, if you have never been to Radiate, you got a taste of it today. We like to have fun. We like to uh, be loud. We like to celebrate. We believe in joy and, and, and happiness here at Radiate. We believe God brings all of that. And so we are super honored to have you. I don't want to take a ton of time setting this thing up. We've been in this series called Flipping Christmas because the whole idea of Christmas is not just a great holiday. Anybody in here just love Christmas? Like you started setting up early for Christmas. You love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of you guys that didn't raise your hands, I see your social media accounts, okay? <laughs> don't, don't come in here trying to act cool, right? I know. In, like, no, in September, you had your Christmas tree up. Now, we've been in this Christmas series talking about how the Christmas story is one massive illustration and massive example that God operates upside down or flipped from the way that we are used to God operating, that we are used to operating in the world. And so we called it Flipping Christmas, and we talked about the wise men, and we dove in to who the wise men actually are, the, the Magi or Magoi, and, and what that means for us, that our past doesn't dictate whether we get into the presence of Jesus or not. It doesn't matter where we've come from or what we've done. He still welcomes us into his presence. And then we jumped into Mary and Joseph last week. And I'm going to tell you what, man. I love the feedback we've gotten from the Mary and Joseph message. Like, some of you guys were like, I didn't know any of that stuff. And it was amazing as we dove into his history and background and how God wants to use all of us. No matter, no matter if we're high up here like the high priest or we're down here like a lowly teenager, God wants to use all of us uh, in our lives, and it's just about submitting to him and, and giving him joy. But I want to take us from where we left off last week, where we talked about Mary and Joseph. So here's where we left off, Mary and Joseph, right? Mary finds out from the angel Gabriel, and she's pregnant, and she's going to have a child. And we know the Christmas story about a miraculous birth, and so she gets that message, Joseph is gone. He's preparing a place for him and his bride. And eventually, after all of that, his dad says, hey, go get your bride. So he comes back into town. When he comes back into, his town, into town, Joseph learns that while he's gone, his wife gets pregnant. Can we just be real? There ain't a husband in the room that wouldn't want to clothesline somebody at that moment. Like, it's okay to go, I know it's a Christmas story, but it's a little, it's a little odd. And it's, it's not a Hallmark movie, y'all. It was messy at times. It was difficult at times. I would want to go fight somebody. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not even a violent guy. Well, maybe I am. But no. And so we, he gets here, he finds out, and he makes this decision because he had an option. He could have ended legally. He could have ended the engagement and honestly had her stoned to death at Town Square. But he chose not to. It actually says that what he chose to do was send her off quietly. And so he didn't want to embarrass her. He didn't want her to have to wear a scarlet letter throughout the rest of her life. And then Gabriel, or an angel, shows back up and talks to Joseph and says, Hey, she's not, she's not lying. It's true. It, it, it's a miraculous birth of Jesus uh, uh, to Mary, and you're going to be the earthly father and the earthly parents to the heavenly Savior. And Jesus basic, or God basically says, I'm breaking 400 years of silence to my people by coming to you to declare the Savior of the universe. His name will be Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And it fulfills a, a prophecy in Isaiah, right? And, and, and so that's where we left off is that they got to this place where they made an agreement and they're going to carry on. Now, 
as they're carrying on and they make this agreement and they make this decision, what begins to take place, we're going to walk through, my intention today is to walk through the story and not just talk about the story. I want us to be in the story. I want us to know what it kind of felt like in that day and in that moment and learn a little bit more what God is trying to teach us in the Christmas story. So let's pick up from there. So they decide they're going to continue with the engagement, and they decide they're going to continue with the baby, and, and they're going to do all that. He's not going to send her off. He's not going to kill her. He's not going to end the engagement. He's going to continue. And then they get word from the government that Caesar Augustus, the king, Caesar Augustus, has declared a census. And, and you have to travel with your family from wherever you are to your hometown. So thousands of people begin walking this journey together so joseph gets mary his pregnant wife like nine months pregnant wife and they begin journeying with all these people now why this is a little interesting tidbit why would there be a census at this time what was caesar augustus doing well as all these people are moving and all these families and thousands of people are talking they begin to figure out that caesar augustus had just come off of laying fifty thousand miles of road that connected points of the world in that area that had never been connected before by road. How do you pay for roads? Money. How do you get money? Taxes. How do you get taxes? You know how many people are in the land so that you know how to tax them so that you can get your money back to pay for the roads. So there's a historical reason the whole thing's taking place. So they're journeying with these thousands of people, continuing walking through this journey, and Joseph looks at his nine-month pregnant wife. And he goes, hey, Mary, hop on this donkey and let's travel about 90 miles from Nazareth to my hometown, my place called Bethlehem. Now, if you've ever been around somebody that's pregnant, much less nine months pregnant, being on a donkey probably isn't the best of scenarios. You know what I'm saying? And it wasn't the, the smoothest of land. It wasn't the smoothest of road. This donkey, I don't know if you know much about donkeys, but they're not known to be very obedient, if you will. They have a nickname on purpose. And so they go, and they're doing all this stuff, and they're fighting the donkey, and she's nine months pregnant. So as they're walking, and they're talking, and they're hanging out with families, they're doing all this stuff, all of a sudden, Mary goes, Joseph? My stomach's hurting a little bit. He's like, oh, no, not now. We're not doing this. Nope. We're not doing this. And contractions begin to kick in a bit while they're on this donkey. And if you've ever been around a woman having contractions, not only is the donkey bad enough, but Joseph, nothing he says is going to be okay. Right? I'm not making fun. I'm putting us in the moment. Let me tell you a quick story about what I did one time. My wife... We have three kids. We have a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 3-year-old. 10-year-old boy, 8-year-old girl, 3-year-old boy. Whenever my 10-year-old, we were in the hospital about to have, well, I wasn't about to give birth. She was about to give birth. I've learned don't say we gave birth because I didn't do anything. As she's about to give birth, I learned, y'all, I'm a smart guy. And, and I think I can figure out a lot of things. And so I learned while we're in this hospital room, have you seen those monitors? They hook up and they, they, they monitor the contractions. And the worse it gets, the higher the peak is. And then it goes down. And it's like a heart monitor, right? I learned how to read that thing. 
So we're sitting there. My, my in-laws are next to me, and we're sitting there. And um, I looked at my wife, and I watched this one climb, Jose, a little bit more than it had climbed before. And I said, Megan, I said, baby, can you feel that? That's not even as bad as the story gets. She didn't respond. There's one thing you'll learn about me the longer you hang out at Radiate. I don't like to be ignored. And it's not that I get mean about it. I just don't like to be ignored. So I'll ask you the same thing 10 times till I get an I don't know or a just leave me alone. It doesn't matter what the answer is. Just don't ignore me. So she didn't respond. Well, in my 20, what, I guess I was 28-year-old head, she, it never responded, I mean, it never clicked that maybe she's in pain, you dummy. So it keeps climbing. So I said, babe, can you feel that? I see it. Can you feel that? Still no response. And at this point, I'm being ignored, Shaniqua, like, I'm going to get a response. That thing keeps climbing. It gets to what, what I didn't know, but what was about the peak. And I said, babe, I know you hear me. Can you feel that? She looks over at me. She just goes, will you shut up? My father-in-law looked at me and goes, that's good advice. I'd be quiet if I were you. I figured out in that moment she felt that. But I, I tell you that story to kind of help you. It's a funny story about my life. But to feel what she's feeling in that moment, and she's not laying in a hospital bed. She's riding on a donkey. And she's got these contractions beginning to kick in. And as they're traveling these 90 miles with these thousands of other people and these hundreds of other families, what begins to happen is they get closer to the Bethlehem town limits. And now the beauty of it being in Bethlehem is Isaiah is being fulfilled right before their eyes and they don't even realize what's taking place, the prophecy. And so they get to the town limits and the contractions get harder and, and the pain gets stiffer and it gets more and more difficult for her to breathe and her to enjoy what's happening. And they hear the hoof on the sand and I know it's annoying her. And Joseph begins to feel a little helpless and she makes a statement. I can just imagine in that moment going, listen, Joseph, this thing is about to happen and it's not going to be long. So you better hurry up and figure something out because I can't keep it from happening. And Joseph, I can just imagine, is like, we ain't doing this on a donkey. And so Joseph begins to freak out like any husband would, feeling this pressure to take care of his wife. I need to find a comfortable place for her to lay. I need to find a comfortable place for her to be. I need to find a good, sterile place, something decent for my family, my soon-to-be son and my wife. And so he just begins beating on doors. He just begins knocking on door after door, whatever inn or hotel he can find. It's like any husband would, right? Hey, I, hey, you got any room? Hey, you got a spot? You got a free bed? Airbnb.com, please, somebody. Can anybody give me a bed and a pillow and anything in this moment? And as he's doing this, it begins to hit him. I'm not the only one in town. We're in a caravan of people all going to a hometown somewhere. Because we all, by government rule, have to get there to be counted for and to be taxed. And if we don't get there, Caesar Augustus is going to figure it out. And it's not going to be pretty because it's Roman government at this point, and that ain't pretty. 
So we got to figure something out. And he's going, there's no room. And we vilify the end sometimes because there's no room in the end, right? Remember that part of the story? That's not their fault. They weren't being mean. They weren't picking on Mary and Joseph. What were they doing? They were just sold out. It's like, it's like vacation time around there. Everybody's looking for a place. Joseph and Mary just must have been at the back of the, the line. Why? She's nine months pregnant on a donkey. That's why. So as they get there, everything's gone, and he gets to one place, and she's crying on the donkey, and she's feeling the pain and knowing what's happening, and there's unrest in her life and unrest in his life, and there's so much happening in their emotions in that moment. And one person looks at him and goes, all right, I got a stable. I don't have a room. I don't have a bed, but I got a stable. Can, can we just stop for a minute at the stable? How weird is that? Can you imagine what Joseph felt like? You want me to have my wife who is about to give birth to go sit with a horse and look at her and go, oh, good, baby, it's all good. We got this. You ever felt like in your moments of life, it's weird circumstances and it doesn't feel good, but you have to tell yourself it's all going to be okay because God's got it anyway? I can imagine that's kind of how Joseph felt. Like, all right, God, you said this is what was going to happen. I trust you and I believe you. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It's not a lot of fun. It's honestly been a weird story up to this point, so why in the world would they have rooms? So they come up, and they begin to they go to the stable, and as they're walking towards the stable, now the stable is not like a barn like you and I know of. It's a cave. That's what a stable was in that day. That's what a barn was in that day. It's a cave, and they're in this cave, and as they begin to walk up to the cave, you ever walked up to a barn? You can smell it before you see it, can't you? You smell the horses or the animals, and you smell they're, they're at the expense of sounding a little crude today. Uh, you can smell their waste, and you can smell the, the, the animals and the hay, and, and you can hear them, and then you begin to see it. So as they're walking up, can you imagine a woman that is nine months pregnant on the back of a donkey traveling 90 miles? They get to the place they need to. They have no room, and now she smells the place she's supposed to have the baby before she can even see the place she's going to have the baby. I don't know about you, but it gives me anxiety just hearing it. And so we're in this thing, and they walk up, and they hear the animals and the sheep and the lambs, and you can throw in whatever animals your favorite in there. It doesn't matter. And all these animals are in there. And he just goes, Mary, we got this. God's got this. I'm going to make you a beautiful pillow of hay. It's going to be comfortable. It's going to be great. You just go right over there where that lamb just got up. You go lay in that bed. You give that place a chance. And she lays down. The contractions get worse. And after hours and hours and hours of pushing the contractions and pain and frustration, the baby that we know as Jesus is now born. And all they have in that moment, as the baby cries, they pick the baby up, they place him in a manger. Isn't it sobering when we put ourselves in the place where the baby was? So they lay him in a manger and he's laying there crying and 
His parents are taking care of him. Mary gets her look, and Joseph gets his look, and everything gets a little quiet, and they begin to think. Now, the interesting part of a manger is there's, there's a few things that are really interesting in this whole story. Is yes, he's laying in a manger, but maybe there's a little bit more to the manger than we're aware of. Like, yes, he's the savior of the world. Yes, he's the king of the universe who was in heaven, who left his throne in heaven with God to come down to earth to be with you and I because his prayer and his goal is to get heaven to earth anyway. And so he's in this thing and he's in this manger. But what we have to remember is a manger didn't just pop up out of nowhere. It wasn't, oh, there's Jesus, bam, boom, here's a manger. No, it was, here's Jesus, and here's a manger. Let's lay him in here. Why? A manger was a feeding trough for animals. It wasn't a, a crib. It wasn't any of that. It was a feeding trough. So they literally put water in here, and they literally put food in here, and the animals knew to come to the manger to get the sustainment that they needed for their entire lives. And isn't it interesting that later in the Bible that Jesus is now called the bread of life and the water that will never run dry. They lay the baby in a place that is a moment, in a place of sustainment and fulfillment for the animals. And they lay the very baby that would now be the sustainment and the fulfillment of us. For the rest of our lives, and they lay him in there. I can't help but think God knew what he was doing in that moment. And so as he's laying there, and he becomes the bread of life, and he becomes the water that never runs dry, and he says it like this, you will not live on bread alone, but on the very word of God. Why is that important? Because he's going, go eat your cheeseburgers, right? Bunless or with buns. Doesn't matter if you're on keto, don't eat the bun. It doesn't matter. Eat your cheeseburgers. Eat your curly fries from Arby's. Do your thing. Take care of your body. But watch this. I, I am the bread of what? Life. Isn't it funny how we go to so many other things to sustain our lives? When he goes, if you just come to me, I will fulfill your life. I don't know about you, but sometimes in my life I can feel full but not filled. I can be so full of everything else that I'm never filled with him. That I'm never filled with Jesus. And the beauty is, is Jesus doesn't go, well, then I'm, I'm cutting you off, man. You're no good. He goes, no, nah, just come on. Let's eat. You don't have to be full of all the other stuff, the social media, all that stuff. Like the negative things, the politics, all that stuff. You don't have to be full of that. Just be full of me. And I'll make you fulfilled. And then he goes, he looks at a woman at a well who's looking for water. And he goes, if you turn your life around to me and you submit to me and you give me your life, I am the water that will never run dry, which means you'll never thirst for anything other than me again. Now, growing up, I used to hear that and go, oh, I never need to drink water. <laughs> Jesus said it, it's in the Bible. But what he's, what he's saying there is, if you let me quench your thirst of your life, I gave you purpose. I gave you life. I gave my life to give you life. I gave you everything. And if you'll, just, if you'll just give me your life, you'll never be thirsty for anything again because you found your purpose and your meaning and your foundation in me and not in everything else. And see, that's why I think we're living a life in our world today of striving to try to prove ourselves all the time. Why? 
because we're thirsty for what Jesus has already offered. Love and affection and acceptance and purpose. And so you have those moments. And then, and then it says that he is wrapped in what? Swaddling cloths. It's a beautiful, it's actually honestly a beautiful uh, uh, symbolism and illustration of the swaddling cloths because what began to take place is in the swaddling cloths, what we don't know is the background of the swaddling cloths. See, Bethlehem was known as an agricultural place because people would pass through Bethlehem to go to Jerusalem to make sacrifices at the temple for forgiveness and for the worship of God. And so Bethlehem was known of agriculture and they would raise lambs and sheep. And so people would stop by Bethlehem on their way to the temple in, the, in that day and they would buy sheep and lambs there because if they brought them from afar from where they were, they'd get injured in the process. And Bethlehem was known to have what they called pure, spotless, what? Lambs. And, and, and they would wrap them in these certain cloths these beautiful cloths. And they would wrap them in that because what they would do is as they wrapped them in that, it kept them protected from the journey. And so when the journey got tough and you had to walk through some thorns and some, through, through some thickets sometimes, there's this cloth around the lamb that would keep it safe so that it remained pure and it remained spotless. And isn't it amazing that a lot of theologians... Many theologians, many historians believe that the thing, this cloth that is spoken about that Jesus is wrapped in was the same cloth that they wrapped pure, spotless lambs in. Why? Because he is our sacrifice for our sins. And as Jesus teaches us, the Bible teaches us, is that there has to be a sacrifice for the redemption of the sin and wrongdoing. But God says, my son Jesus will come to this earth and be the sacrifice and the redemption of all the sin and wrongdoing that you've ever done so that you don't have to continue going to the temple to sacrifice lambs. I'm sacrificing the one pure spotless lamb so that you are loved and you can be with me. And it's not because he felt bad, it's because he loves his kids. It's because he loves you and he loves me and he says, I'm wrapping him. So when, this, when the shepherds show up and they look in the manger, they don't look and go, oh, that's cute. There's a baby. No, they look and go, oh, that's a sacrificial lamb. That's the pure spotless lamb. That's the one that matters. They say, that's the one that is going to be sacrificed for all mankind. And then, I, 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 can't, I can't get away from this thought as I've prepared for today for weeks and weeks. I can't get away from this thought. Can we just be real for a minute and at the expense of sounding just a tiny bit crude on Christmas today? We are in a stable, y'all. We're with a bunch of animals. And where animals eat, they also what? Use the restroom. And so, when, when I picture the story without putting it in real life, without hearing the sounds, and without walking the journey with Mary and Joseph, I forget that there is waste all over the ground in the stable. Now, why are you talking about that? That's pretty nasty. Here's why. Because in my life sometimes, I'm scared to give him all my waste. I'm scared to give him everything that stinks to me. I'm scared to look at him and go, you know what, God? I'm a mess up, and I don't have it right, 
and I get it wrong so much, and my life just stinks, and there's waste everywhere, and if you even walk up close to my life, God, you're going to step in something. And I'm scared to do it because after all, he's God. And I don't want to give him anything that is not holy and is not great and is not perfect. But watch this. This is what spoke to me in this whole thing. We're scared to give Jesus our mess whenever he was born in mess. He was surrounded by it. Come on, you can celebrate that. He was surrounded by it when he took his first breath. He was surrounded by it when he opened his eyes for the first time. He was surrounded by it when he cried out for the first time. And he's not afraid of whatever mess you may have in your stable. He's not afraid of whatever mess you may have in your life. He's not afraid of whatever mess you may be carrying that you think stinks too much. He goes, I was born in this stuff. I was born for this stuff and I've already taken it to the cross and I've already died for the redemption of it and I've already become the sacrificial lamb and I've already been wrapped in the swaddling cloths and I've already become the bread of life and the water that'll never run dry you don't have to worry about it stinking too much you don't have to worry about it being too messy I am here and see that's Christmas to me because I don't know about you but in my life I need hope I need to know that I'm going to be okay I need to know that it's all going to work out I need to know that when I'm not perfect, and I never am, that I'm still good enough for him. I need to know that he still has purpose whenever I give it away. I need to know when I think the thoughts I shouldn't be thinking, then he still forgives. I need to know that whenever I mess up, he doesn't run from it. In fact, what the Christmas story actually tells me, because in life, we run from mess. But in the kingdom, he runs to it. He runs to it. And I don't, listen, this Christmas, I just want you to walk out of here knowing one thing. Hope has arrived. See, it's not just a baby, it's hope. Hope has arrived. Hope is here. Hope is in this room. Hope is at this church. Hope is at your home. Hope is in your marriage. Hope is with your kids. Hope is in your hopelessness. Hope is in your depression. Hope is in your anxiety. Hope is in your medical conditions. Hope is here. And no matter what, because I know, it's like, well, I ain't been to church in months. Good, welcome home. Like, I haven't prayed in a while. Good, let's start today. I've never given my life to Jesus. Good, today's a perfect day. Because he goes, don't run from the mess. I run to it. And he's in this manger. And it's not just because, well, uh, God didn't wake up one day and go, I have nothing else to do, so. No, God goes, I created you. And you place your name there. I created you to love you. I didn't create you as part of a game. I didn't create you out of a mistake. I didn't create you out of boredom. I created you to love you. And that is Christmas. That he came to give us hope in our confusion, and in our celebration. And the biggest thing that I'm going to do all day long is not just tell the story. I get jacked up telling the story every time. When I hear the noises, it's like I'm there. And I'm like, oh man, how special.
See, the biggest thing I'm going to do today is not tell the story. It's going to be to pray with people that are ready and willing to say, I'll give him my life. I'll give him my intentions. I'll give him my past. I'll give him my present. And I'll let him control my future. I'll let him be in charge of it all. And there's people that are going to be filling this room all day today. And then one more time on Wednesday night for a candlelight. That have never prayed that prayer and never felt the hope of Jesus. And my hope is today that when you see a manger and you see this manger, that you realize hope is here. And it's never left. In fact, he says this, I will never leave nor forsake you. I will walk with you through it all. Even when you don't walk with me, I'm walking behind you, waiting on you to turn with open arms and say, Jesus, I'm here. And so today there's some people that need to turn around and go, Jesus, I'm here. Not in a way that you've been a terrible person, but in a way that Jesus is hope. And that's what you need for eternity. So if you would just bow your heads with me today and close your eyes right where you are. And I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm not going to call you out. But how we do this here is we just ask people that are ready to pray that prayer. We just ask them to hold their hand up high. And then we slide a clipboard in their hand. And here's why. Because we want to give you resources on the way out today to help you do this. We don't expect you to do it alone. So if you're in the room and you'd say, I, this Christmas, want to give God everything. I want to accept Jesus as that lamb and I want to pray that prayer and just say you know what I'll give him my life my past my present my future and trust him with everything I have from this moment forward if that's you and you want to pray that prayer everybody's eyes closed I'll be the only one looking around other than those putting what clipboards in would you hold your hand up right where you are and let me pray with you salvation today God, we love you. And we give you everything. And we thank you that this Christmas, we get to now walk away reminded of hope. And reminded of salvation and love and grace. And today, God, I pray that we'd walk out of here different. We'd walk out of here different than we walked in. Reminded of your love because we've been in the shoes. We feel like we've walked the journey. And we trust you. And we love you. And God, if there's anybody in this room, that is in their seat right now, that is praying that prayer, saying, you know what, God, I didn't raise my hand, but I need to give my life. And I give you all that I have. I, I, I give it in seriousness to you because I've done it before, but not meant it. Or I just give you my life for the first time. God, I pray salvation over their life. And Lord, the beauty is you don't leave us. You just walk with us. It's not perfection. It's relationship. And so we promise that to you. God, we honor you. We worship you. And we're honored to do life with you as we live this life. In your name we pray. Amen.